Let us pray. Father, as we turn to your word, we recognize that it is more precious than gold. And so may we treat it that way. May we receive it that way this morning. Father, you have much to speak to us, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, faith to follow you, even in the challenging things that you might put before us. For we know that you are a faithful God, and we come to give you our worship to that end this morning. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, we still our hearts to listen, to receive, to be transformed by your Spirit's work in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, I want you to imagine for a moment living in a world without conflict. Okay? Living in a world without conflict. Living in a world without fear. Living in a world where you had no enemies. Living in a world where there was perfect peace in every relationship that you had. No wars between nations. No wars in families, no wars with friends. Can you imagine that? Well, now I want you to think about the world in which we live. (laughs) It is anything but that, isn't it? You see, we can only imagine a world without conflict because it's not the world we live in, is it? We hope for a world like that. And I think in every human being, there there is a longing, a stirring in every heart for a world that would be a world of true peace in every way. But the reality, that's not the world in which we live today. The reality is this. We are all born into this world at war. We're born at war. We're born with our hearts at war against God. We're born with our, at war with our hearts against one another, battling over and over again. You know, no one has to teach us about war. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) You don't have to go to the Naval Academy. You don't have to go to the Air Force Academy or another place to learn about war. Do you know where we learn about war? In our own hearts. We learn about war from our hearts. You see, we're born at war with God and one another because we're born with a self-centered, selfish heart. I love how practical James puts it in in, in his epistle. This is James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen and see how you can relate to this this morning. James wrote, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. (laughs) So the operative theme right there is when we make life all about us, when I let the selfishness, self-centeredness of my own heart come out, there are going to be wars. (laughs) There's going to be conflict. There's going to be battles with other people. And the reality is this, life is war. We live in the midst of this world where wars are going on all around us. Wars among nations, potential war with Russia and Ukraine, wars among people, wars among people with differing political ideologies. We see that all over the place today. We see battles in families, battles with friendships. We even see wars in the church over some of the most petty things you can imagine that often bring division. 
It's no wonder why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 describing this armor of God that he gives to followers, that, that Christ gives to his church, the body of Christ. He gives us this armor that we're really to, to, to walk into and put on every day. Do you know why? Because life is a battle. We are at war with others, and we are, there's a spiritual conflict going on around us every day. You're beginning to get the picture. Life is a war, isn't it? But friends, here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came in the midst of our war-torn world to bring us peace. That's the glorious news in the midst of all of this. He came to bring peace. He came to bring his kingdom, a kingdom of peace. And this kingdom of peace, of, of God's kingdom among us, will actually begin to change the face of this world. And it will also begin to change the course of our lives if we lean into this peace. So here's what we're going to look at this morning, posing this question as we look at the latter part of Hebrews chapter 13. The question is this, how do we live at peace in the midst of a world filled with unrest? How do we live at peace in the midst of a world filled with unrest? How do we live at peace when we experience battles every day with people in our lives? Some of you are beginning to have pictures of people in your mind right now, I can imagine, that you have conflict with, that you would long for peace with, right? Keep them in your mind. And one of the most glorious and I would say hope-filled benedictions in all of the Scripture is right here at the end of Hebrews chapter 13. I want to read this again. The author of Hebrews wrote as he closed out this, this sermon that he had in this way, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that in you he may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. What I want us to see for the next few minutes is this. First, we're going to see that we can live at peace with one another because the God of peace has come among us, right? The God of peace has come, and because the God of peace has come among us, he has made peace between us and himself. And then we then can go and live at peace with one another, okay? So we're going to look at first the God of peace. We see that God is, and it says here, God is a God of peace who came to make peace with us. Now, I don't have to convince you of this, but I want to remind you of this reality in which we live every day. Sin fractures. Sin destroys. Sin corrupts. Sin tears down relationships and sin builds up walls between ourselves and others. That's exactly what sin does. Now, I want you to think for a moment on this last week, okay? And I want you to think if, if you had an encounter with someone, maybe your spouse, a friend, maybe a child, maybe whoever it might be, can you think of an encounter that you had with someone where your, your sin interfered with that relationship? Where your sin impacted that relationship in a negative way? Can you think of a time this past week where, where because of your sin, walls were built up between you and someone else? Maybe it was with someone in your family. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was someone at school. Can you think of a time, can you name that? 
because that's what sin does. And if sin does that to our relationships, we recognize that it does the exact thing to our relationship with God. Sin fractures, sin destroys, and sin corrupts. And here's what we need to see here. God, the God of peace, from the very beginning, in the very beginning of the scriptures, when Adam and Eve chose on their own to turn away from God, to, to, to say, we want to be God ourselves in a sense. When they sinned against God and they were, that relationship was broken, was so fractured, it was split in two. No longer did they live at peace with God. But God being the God of peace made a promise right there that he would pursue us and ultimately bring us back into a relationship of peace with himself. You see, God is known as the God of peace because he's the God who came to make peace with you and me. Now, I want want you to think for a moment what it took for God to, to make peace with you and me. And I want to take you back to a book in the Bible that some of you might not even know was there, the book of Leviticus. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever spent much time in the book of Leviticus. It's not one of those that we typically turn to. Uh, it's not one that many of us have really spent much time in. But I want to challenge you, as I've been reading through the Bible this year, I've been in Leviticus for a couple of weeks, and as challenging as it is, it is rich with imagery. It is rich with gospel truth in there. One of the things that I was confronted with in the first few chapters, uh, the authors is talking about the, the sacrifices that had to be made, the atoning sacrifices for the sins of the people. And in one of the scenes, he talks about that the priest, after killing the animal, would take the blood and for some sacrifices would sprinkle the blood on the altar. But others, it's much more violent. He takes the blood and he splashes it, throws it against the wall of the temple. You read that, it's pretty gory. you got to have a thick skin. But when I read that, I was overwhelmed with the weightiness and costliness of sin. Something that I think in our culture today, many of us just kind of push aside. You see, I want you to think what it cost God to be a God who came to make peace with you and me. You see, those blood sacrifices were just a foretaste of what God would ultimately do by bringing his son into this world where his blood would be shed to make the final atoning sacrifice for our sins that would ultimately bring us peace with God. You see, in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices, that couldn't do it. It was never designed to do it. It couldn't fully do it. It was a substitute, temporary. But I want you to think how costly it is what God, would it cost God to bring peace, to make peace with you and me? I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 again, and you'll see where I'm going with this. The author wrote, Now may the God of peace, who, again, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now I want to stop there for a moment. You want to talk about something that actually would bring peace between us and God. It is the blood of the eternal covenant. And what we find here is this, is that the blood of Jesus brought warring parties together. That's the only way it could happen, was by God's Son willingly shedding his blood for you and me. You see, Jesus' death brought peace, friends. Isn't that so crazy? Who would think that death would bring peace? 
But that's the only way that you and I could be reconciled to God. I've looked at a lot of different religions uh, in the world today. Probably many of you have too. There is no other religion on the face of this earth where the God would come and say, I shed my blood for your sins. You want to talk about love. You want to talk about mercy. You want to talk about grace. And I love the language here. The author talked about Jesus' blood being the blood of the eternal covenant. Do you know what that tells us? That it's done. It's final. And guess what? It lasts forever for us. You see, I think many of us walk our journeys as followers of Jesus, and we think that we keep having to atone ourselves for our sins, right? We keep having to try to do things or be better or act better for God to accept us, for us to have peace with God. This statement is so powerful. By the blood of the eternal covenant, it is done, sealed once and for all. As followers of Jesus, our sins are forgiven, wiped clean. And there is peace with God. Think about how glorious that is. What would, what would that be like for you waking up on Monday going, I have peace with God. <laughs> There's no more hostility there. That'll set your day on a different trajectory, I will guarantee you. I love how Paul speaks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul wrote this, Ephesians 2 verses 13 through 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, us, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." I would gather there's some of you here this morning, some watching online, you know Jesus, you know you've been forgiven, but you're not living a life of peace with him. You still feel like there's this dividing wall of hostility there that Paul spoke about. But friends, I want you to see in Christ that dividing wall has been blown down. I mean, it has been obliterated and nothing can build it back up. Nothing you can do or I can do can put that wall back up. Amen? Friends, that is the power of the blood of Jesus, what he has done for you and me. And I love when Jesus was on the cross, some of my favorite words in all of Scripture, when he hung there on the cross and breathed his last, remember the words he said, it is finished. Friends, it is finished for you. I want you to hear that this morning. If you are someone who's received the grace of Jesus, I want you to know that it's finished. If you're here this morning going, I I haven't, but I may be intrigued, I want you to know for you, those words can be true by receiving what Jesus did for you on the cross. By paying the price for your sins, he brings peace with God for you and me. Friends, that is a radically different way to live our lives these days in the midst of a world with so much tumultuous stuff going on to know that we can actually live today right here, right now with peace with God. That's the first thing that we see in this this glorious uh, benediction. The God of peace came himself to make peace with you and me. But that causes us to respond, doesn't it? And here's what we see. If God made peace with us, then you know what our response is? We are to go and make peace with one another. 
Because as people who have been beneficiaries of this radical grace of God, how can it not change the way we live our lives? And so here we see what God does for us. And I want you to hear this. We say this often. It's all about what God has done for us, not what we have to do for God. You see that? In this next part of this benediction, uh, the author writes this, that God equips you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to see here, it's God who equips you and me to do his will. One of the ways we see his will working through our lives is that we live as men and women as instruments of peace in the world around us. What does this world so desperately need to see today? Peacemakers. Men and women who who know peace. And then by the way that we live our lives, as imperfect as we are, we seek to bring the very peace of God to people in turmoil all around us. That they would come to know this peace and have their lives turned right side up. Here's what Jesus said in one of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let me ask you this question this morning. Would your friends around you say that you're a peacemaker? (laughs) Would your friends say that you're a peacemaker? Would your spouse say that you're a peacemaker? (laughs) If they're honest. If not, why? If you're not a peacemaker, why? Are you a person who holds grudges? Are you a person who acts vindictively towards others? Do you let things simmer? Do you, do you harbor bitterness in your heart towards someone? Do you cast judgment on them because they might have done something to you in the past? Friends, we all struggle seeking to live at peace. It's a challenge. It's not natural for us, right? But in Christ, he gives us this new gift to be peacemakers, But when you and I struggle, and I want you to hear this, when we struggle to live at peace with one another, we need to direct our eyes to the cross. Because when we direct our eyes back to the cross, we are confronted once again of what it cost God, what it cost Jesus to make peace with you and me. And then that begins to change the way we begin to see those around us. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 12. Many of you know this passage uh, Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. How challenging is that, <laughs> isn't it? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Then he expounded on this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and, and here's what he wrote. As a prisoner for the Lord, someone who has surrendered to the Lord, yielded to the Lord in every area of his life, as a prisoner for the Lord, Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And here's the key. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. The Greek word there has a much uh, uh, deeper meaning than our translation, make every effort. Here's what it the connotation of that word, to strive eagerly, 
to strive eagerly, earnestly, and diligently to live at peace. That Greek word here was probably a word often used when gladiators, when the trainers of gladiators, when the gladiators would go into the Colosseum and there was a battle going on, one was going to die, right? And one was going to live. And they would say this word, make every effort to stay alive. When you go in there and face others and the spear's coming right at you, make every effort to stay alive. I don't know about you, but if I was in that Colosseum, I would make every effort I could to stay alive, right? Friends, it's that kind of earnestness. It's that kind of of passion and longing that we would pursue peace with one another as far as it depends on us. Here's a question for you. What will this require of you now? What will it require of you to begin to live and lean more fully into becoming a man or woman of peace with those around you? At times, when they're small, sometimes we need to overlook offenses. Other times, we need to come with radical forgiveness to those around us. Another question is this. What will need to change in your life to become a person of peace? Take that to the Lord and sit with him this week. What will need to change in your life to become more and more a person of peace? Now, I know there are hundreds of scenarios going on in in this room right now, things going on in each of your minds, people that you recognize where you have conflict with, maybe a friend or family member, whoever. And I can't speak to every one of those. But what I want you to take this morning, away from this morning, is this. What what is it going to cost you to become more and more a person of peace? What will it look like to lean more fully into the peace that has been made between you and God? And how will that then begin to reshape your life and the relationships that you have, as challenging as some of you have? What will it look like to lean into being a man or woman of peace? And maybe for some, it's thinking right now, who is on your heart that God might be calling you to call or go see after this service and ask forgiveness of or go and forgive? Some of you might be waiting for that person to come to you. I would say don't wait any longer. If you know there's something there, go to them. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. You can't control how they respond. I can't either. But we can sure lean into the power of the Spirit and of us going and seeking to pursue peace, surrendering it to the Lord and trusting He's going to do something greater with it. We all have those relationships But the call is to live at peace. And I want to say this before I close. Remember, in your struggle with this, because this is weighty stuff, but friends, it is life-giving because we have an opportunity to truly bring the life-giving nature, the peace of Jesus to the world around us. And it will set them ablaze in a new way of hope. But it's hard. And so what we need to do is continue to look to the cross. It's not about us mustering ourselves, uh, you know, up with, you know, that we can do it on our own. We can't, but in the Spirit we can because the Spirit lives in us. Amen? So I want to close with a prayer that many of y'all are going to be familiar with, a prayer from St. Francis. So I would invite you, just right where you are, as you close your eyes, I'd invite you to open your hands like this. Open your hands up like this to the Lord as I pray this prayer.
Pray along with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we pardon, we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen.